Jonathan Armstrong. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tech Law 10. With me is Eric Sinrod, live from California. And Eric, you've been thinking about Egypt. <laughs> it sounds so exciting. Live from California, Eric Sinrod, <laughs> thinking about Egypt. And here I am, folks. Thank you for joining us with our weekly Tech Law 10. Yes, I'm Eric Sinrod of Dwayne Morris, Jonathan Armstrong, your quarterly. Um, I have been, and I've been thinking about governmental control of the Internet and the delicate balance between trying to thwart terrorism but problematically potentially silencing dissent. And as I walk through this, uh, Jonathan, we will get to Egypt, I believe, in a moment. So let's track my thoughts. Hopefully I know what I'm saying. So when the Internet first exploded uh, beyond the early confines of U.S. military and academic communications in the late 1990s, the U.S. Congress believed that the Internet should grow and flourish relatively unfettered by potential litigation and government regulation. And this was reflected in Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And Jonathan, as I'm sure you know, and maybe some of our listeners know, this generally provides that Internet service providers are not liable for content posted by third parties on their websites. Okay, fast forward. The pendulum may be swinging in the other direction in the U.S. as there have been recent concerns about false information posted online by foreign interests that has been intended to influence elections. And in fact, we're quite worried about that right now because we have our uh, midterm congressional elections coming up in about 60 days. Um, there also has been worry about the ability of terrorists and other bad actors to organize and develop plans of harm and destruction by utilizing the Internet to further those negative pursuits. Okay, so that's the U.S. You know, other countries uh, share these types of concerns, and there have been some consequent tightening of controls on the Internet in those places. Uh, and as I alluded to earlier, there has to be a balance to be struck on the one hand, there is merit, of course, to seeking to prevent harm by terrorists. On the other hand, Internet restrictions should not be implemented to thwart valid free speech, dissent, and organization while seeking improperly to consolidate governmental societal control. So let's look at one country in particular. Jonathan wants me to talk about Egypt. I'm going to talk about Egypt live from California. What's happening there? So... President el-Sisi of Egypt has just implemented a new law that seeks greater control of the Internet in his country. Um, with the expressed goal of seeking to prevent terrorism, the Egyptian anti-cyber and information technology crimes law bars the, quote, promotion of the ideas of terrorist organizations, close quote, and permits the Egyptian government to block websites determined by judges to constitute threats to national security. Jonathan, law, the law also bans the distribution of information concerning the movement of security forces, and the law further enacts strong punishments for hacking of government computer systems. So at first blush, one can ascertain potential laudable uh, legitimate purposes underlying this new Egyptian legislation. But and there tends to be a but in our conversations. Uh, since assuming power in 2014, the LCC government has been accused of barring important media voices 
and erasing validal, excuse me, not validal, that's not a word, valid digital content. Indeed, since May 2017, almost 500 websites have been blocked in Egypt, as reported by the Association of Freedom of Thought and Expression in Cairo. Furthermore, there have been reports that the parliament in Egypt has passed legislation emboldening, emboldening the government's authority to target social media, why? To ban dissent. And as part of this, the government can conduct surveillance on social media sites. So I believe the Egyptian model is worthy of analysis and scrutiny. And Jonathan, in a moment, I look forward to your thoughts. Yes, perhaps the Internet should not be completely free of restriction to protect the safety of innocent people, but nevertheless, the stated goal of seeking to prevent terrorism should not be used as a cover to block valid speech, dissent, and organization simply to help an existing government to maintain power. So we're going to see how this new law in Egypt plays out. Hopefully, true terrorism will be thwarted by the new law, and the law will not be used to silence voices that should be heard. So speaking of a voice that should be heard, I want to hear from Jonathan. Well, thanks very much, Eric. I think this is um, I mean, certainly an issue that's been a problem, I think, since the start of the Internet. I can remember back in the day, probably to age myself, a good 20 years ago, when I first came across uh, re regulations to try and clamp down on the Internet that I thought were a concern, which I think was the state of Massachusetts, I apologize to everyone in Massachusetts if I'm wrong, who were seeking to ban the sale of um, pipe cleaners online. Now, in the UK, pipe cleaners, so they're, I don't know whether you use the same word, there are bits of wire with fluff mm -hmm. around them. You use right. them to make giraffes and kids' animals. You bend the wire. And um, it's something that... that uh, the Armstrong family has done since the dawn of time. And, of course, <laughs> later than the dawn of time, you could buy pipe cleaners on the Internet, except, I believe, that in Massachusetts they sought to ban the sale of pipe cleaners on the Internet because that related to some uh, aged Massachusetts law that prohibited any article that sought to promote what I believe they called the art of smoking. And, and I think the difficulty with any type of Internet regulation is we try and enforce what's precious to us on everybody else. And we might think, you know, from our point of view, that's fine because we're only enforcing our values, but we're quite often uncomfortable about other people enforcing their values on us. Online gaming might be another example where the U.S. had a long and and meaty campaign to ban online gaming, uh, which some countries objected to. And equally, we might find that repressive regimes try and ban not only free speech, but almost any speech on the Internet. Like you said, with Egypt, I can remember Turkey, for example, having similar legislation to try and clamp down on any um, news sources that weren't officially sanctioned. So I suggest, Eric, that this is a problem that's been there since the uh, start of the Internet. And, and anybody who doesn't think it's a problem is similar to 
most of the fish in Egypt. They're in denial. <laughs> I almost missed that. <laughs> live, live in California, not paying attention. That, that's right. So um, where do we go from here? I mean, how do, how do we strike this balance? Um, I mean, this, this reminds me about discussion of, you know, freedom of the press. Uh, yeah. You know, we have, we have certain, um, we have a vibrant press in certain countries and not in others. That's certainly been a hallmark of our democracy for a very long time. And now there's so many cries of fake news from so many, you know, we don't know uh, what to believe or what not to believe. And then there's potentially even the crackdown on what the press can cover or not. Um, any thoughts on that particular angle, Jonathan? I think you're probably right. I think it is almost one of those unanswerable problems. You know, in the UK, for example, we uh, are um, seeing uh, a the press report, I think, fairly on the recent spate of poisonings and more evidence that's come to light. But again, we're seeing, let's just say, alternative news sources cast out and spin a different narrative um, obviously, we've had that in the U.S. Uh, with, with your election. We've had it with our Brexit campaign. And the difficulty is, I think, that, that um, repressive regimes particularly resent the fact that there are now more sources of information, ones that they can't necessarily control as easily as they used to be able to do five years ago. But at the same time... The other concern, of course, is that some of these alternative sources of information have no stability of substance to them. And as you rightly say, terrorism is a perennial threat. And that's one of the things, I guess, that most people buy into. They, uh, uh, most governments, it seems to me, buy into a, an increasingly smaller list of things that they think are to be clamped down on. Terrorism's one, child pornography's another. And, 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 and if we stick to that relatively narrow set, I think we will find engagement across borders to remove that content and to police it. I think the difficulty sometimes is that we stray beyond, if you like, those core global values into things that different nations care more about than others. And, and that's, I think, when we get issues and when that whole central buy-in about joining together to police the Internet fades, mm -hmm. and, and that also weakens the war on terrorists. I'm, I'm not sure whether that's too obscure no, a response, but I think that um, I, 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 maybe I'm just, a, a, I don't know, a jaded old man but I suspect it's a problem that we're going to have. Um, we've had since the dawn of the Internet, and I suspect we're going to have until the uh, very sunset. It's problematical. And first of all, to me, you're a young man, as we know chronologically. <laughs> uh, you're a young man in denial uh, of the truth. But I'm going to say, just sorry to be so uh, punchy today, but basically you know, bringing this full circle, uh, we started out with me talking about Section 230, uh, the Communications Decency Act, and the whole point there, now we're sort of going to, we talked about the government, we talked about the press, and we have Internet service providers like the Facebooks and the Twitters 
et cetera, and they didn't want to be in the business of policing and monitoring communications on their platforms because that would be extremely burdensome and expensive and problematical. But we saw what happened uh, in our presidential election in 2016 as an example, and now they're recognizing perhaps they need to do something or Congress will make them do something. And so now Facebook and Twitter are taking down uh, certain pages and getting rid of certain accounts. But how do they strike the balance, just like the government? I mean, where do, how do they become the referee on what speech is allowed and not? So I'm sure this is a subject we're going to be talking about quite a bit uh, because it's very important, and it's, going to, it's certainly going to keep coming up. We probably strayed a little bit over our 10. I hope you found this uh, interesting. Jonathan, thank you for your points. Um, I'm Eric Sinrod of Dwayne Morris, right now live in California, as Jonathan says. You can reach me at ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. You can find us on the usual social media outlets. Jonathan, live in the UK, talk to us. Close it down. Well, thanks very much. I'll resist any more uh, Egypt puns. Uh, I'll just say that I'm uh, jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. Of course, if you want to post your own uh, Egyptian-based puns, then, um, then you're welcome to do so on our LinkedIn page. And uh, we'll speak to you again in a week or so. Thanks for listening. Cheers. 